Welcome to the Share Chair Podcast, where we tell each other's stories and learn from listening. Welcome to the Share Chair Podcast, Mr. Signy. We're so glad you're here. Um, and this is the first time I've been talking to you, but I have to say I have heard a ton about you. Um, just from like Stop it. everywhere. My little sister is in your class, Lydia Miller. She's great. No, yeah, but I've heard lots and lots about you. There's a lot of buzz about you. Mm, buzz, um, okay. Yeah. So go on. I guess to start, maybe we'll just confirm the myth that you Myth were going to be a no. you had the opportunity cut this out to be a teacher at Harvard. <laughs> oh no, I, I I actually did, yeah. So yeah. uh so I W- was in Harvard in graduate school, sort of in this joint program in the Divinity School and the School of Education. Okay. Uh, and I was really interested in how people make meaning out of their lives through education. So I wanted to take a sort of theological lens or a religious lens and say, like, how do people, if I understand better how people make meaning out of their lives, then maybe I'll have a better sense of how people make meaning out of their education. So I was sort of studying that um, at Harvard uh, and taking classes across different schools, just trying to understand how people make sense of their lives. And young people spend such a huge proportion of their lives in, edu- in school mm-hmm. that it seems like a big part of the meaning that people make out of their lives as adolescents is connected to the meaning that they make out of their school lives. Okay. So I was like, I don't know, trying to figure some of that out so that I could understand how to be a good teacher, but also like a positive force in the world, like a good person, maybe first and foremost, who was then also a teacher. Okay. Um, And then I guess my my perspective was that I wanted, um, I wanted, um, okay, well, yeah. So I I had kind of a, a, a rough childhood in a lot of ways, and I didn't, like my dad wasn't around when I was a kid, and um, I felt like there were teachers who did like a really amazing job for a very short amount of time and then they maybe got burned out or something like that mm-hmm. and they couldn't keep teaching. And I didn't want it to be that way. I wanted to sort of be a career teacher mm-hmm. who tried to be like a good example for my students of, of someone who was just trying to live a good life, not always succeeding, but like trying to be a good person in the world, mm-hmm. trying to live a good life, first and foremost. Yeah. And then secondarily, I mean a close second, was like, okay, so then how do we learn this content um, while also trying to be good people? Maybe even more so, how do we learn this content in such a way that helps us be better people? So I think that pushed me into to te- teaching English and eventually psychology because I wanted to yeah. understand like, How could people, I mean, speaking of empathy, this is about elevating empathy. Mm -hmm. There's quite a bit of evidence uh, that, um, it's not perfect evidence, but there's good evidence um, that suggests that when people read literary fiction, they're more empathic, they're more empathetic. So I wanted to use English teaching as a way to get people to think about other people's perspectives and how they could change in their own lives and how they could sort of be empowered. Um, and that led me to just to studying it. And then I got really interested in like how students were thinking of themselves from a psychological perspective because so many students were um, struggling with things outside of school that was impacting the way they were learning. 
so then I started to really get interested in, I, had, I already had a degree in psychology, so I was like applying some of that knowledge to education. Well, that led me to do um, some further education in like psychology and its relationship to education. And at some point, I guess the word got around and I had graduated from, from graduate school at Harvard. So um, they came to see me and they just sort of said like, do you want to teach some of these classes on how to be an English teacher, how to be a teacher, um, and actually they interviewed me. Yeah. Anyway, they, suge they suggested that I do it, and I said yes, and, um, and I started working with undergraduates and graduate students at Harvard who wanted to be teachers. So I did that for maybe the last five or six years. I, I guess the interesting part of this story mm -hmm. is that, which I'm somewhat embarrassed to share, but if, I mean, I guess maybe if it's helpful to someone to think about, yeah. is that I was doing some, some reading in positive psychology, which, which is basically trying to understand, positive psychology is basically trying to understand how we can use research in psychology to make our lives better, like to make us happier. And one of the most interesting things in positive psychology is that like income isn't like, there's not a linear relationship between how much money you make and how happy you are. And I think you could, people could probably guess that, that that like just because you have more money doesn't mean yeah. you're happier. Now I want to be super clear about that. Like there is some truth, the, the evidence does suggest that if people are really struggling financially, then making more money does give them more life satisfaction. But it's up to a certain point. And depending on where you live, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's 60, 70, $80,000. At that point, once you're not worried about where the next meal's coming from, or you're not worried about like um, paying your rent and those things, then like making a lot more money than that doesn't help that much. And this makes sense to me because like mm -hmm. my toilet is made out of porcelain, I guess. That's not, really not even true. I don't even know what my toilet's made out of. <laughs> but whatever my toilet's made out of, it wasn't that expensive. Um, and, but I have a toilet and it's really nice to have a toilet. It's really nice to have indoor <laughs> plumbing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Um, and, and if I didn't have indoor plumbing, I might be a little less happy. But now that I have indoor plumbing and I have a toilet, like if that toilet were made out of gold or platinum, I don't think I'd be that much happier. Yeah. So I think that's the idea is that there's this, there's this what's called point of diminishing returns where more money isn't going to make you that much happier. So I knew this from psychology and I was studying this and I think um, I was really starting to think about like what would make me a good person and like happy with my life. And the research, a lot of it suggests it's like family and friends and like relationships and meaningful work. Mm -hmm. So I think the embarrassing part of this story is that they were creating these full-time faculty positions at Harvard mm -hmm. um, where they were bringing like um, people like me into, into these full-time roles. And um, yeah, I mean, I was recommended for that for a position, for that position. And I did not even apply for it because I knew that I had sort of reached a point of diminishing returns as far as career and, and money goes. Okay. Like the extra money, the extra sort of like, you know, let's publish materials or whatever it would be wouldn't make me any happier. Whereas what would make me happier was like um, um, spending more time with my family doing more meaningful hobbies, like having a more meaningful career. Um, and I thought that more meaningful career was going to come like interacting directly with students. So I stopped working at Harvard. I stopped doing a lot of the extra work that I was doing in Boston 
uh, as a high school teacher, and I moved to Spring Lake, Michigan, because it's my wife's hometown. It was a really cool school mm-hmm. district. Um, so, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So That's why I'm here, and yeah. One part that interested me right at the end there is when you said that there are you like interacting with the students directly. Yes. And that's why you move towards a high school rather than a college? Yes. Am I getting that right? Okay. So where do you see that difference that's then, a great I guess, question. between like a college classroom versus a high school classroom, and why is there a closer connection with yeah. students in high school? So I read this article once about the difference between like quantity time and quality time. And I think growing up, the myth that I was told or the myth that I bought into was like that quality time was more important than the quantity of time. And I don't disagree with that, except that sometimes you need a high quantity of time with people Mm -hmm. so that you're there when the opportunity arises for quality time. Wow. And and I want to say this in relationship to just people in general, but it's Mm -hmm. with families, it's with students. It's with friends. Like, yeah, theoretically, you could come in and have, like, really high-quality time with your family, like, one hour, and you could only see your family, like, an hour or two a day. But, like, mm-hmm. my kids are, my, my twins are two. They're mm-hmm. two. And they may, that might not be the hour for them. Okay. So, like, as a father, I sort of have to be hanging around mm-hmm. so that when they, that quality, the opportunity for that quality time arises, I can, I can really take hold of being present in, in, that, in those moments. So analogously, I think that's how it is in school where, yeah, theoretically you could have like a really high quality interaction for a short amount of time, mm-hmm. but if this makes sense, like having yeah. just, just having less time means that you have fewer opportunities to, to embrace like yeah. opportunities no, for high quality interactions. Um, so I think that makes a, a difference between high school and college. The other thing that I don't quite understand yet that I'm still exploring is that they're in college, and I don't know why, but I think sometimes in our society, people like put a different expectation on what it means to be in a college class. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if some of the college students come, come in, and they expect me as a college professor to like deposit knowledge into their like banks, which are like their mm-hmm. brains. Like, I'm there to, like, deposit knowledge into their brains. Like, they're there to be, like, the receptors of this knowledge. Okay. Um, I, think, I think more so, at least the environment in which I was teaching, there was that expectation there. Whereas I think that a lot of times in my work with high school, students, they almost have, like, I don't want to say they have the opposite expectation, but, but mm-hmm. it's easier to ha- as a class to, like, construct the knowledge together. Like, there's the expectation yeah. that we would talk about... Um, topics and issues together and like construct what we know together as opposed to me just sort of like my telling them mm-hmm. um, and that makes high school a bit more fun yeah. uh, more like think uh, like fulfilling mm-hmm. and then finally I think that there's something about the difference in age mm. I don't know why but th- this, this I need to explore more I, I don't have enough information about this but sometimes it seems to me that people who are kids uh, students who are like freshmen, sophomores, juniors, even seniors, they're like still exploring who they are in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's like a freshness and openness to them maybe that people, st- uh, they're less guarded, mm. that, that people start to lose maybe when they get into college. Um, and, and frankly, adults a lot of times, I think, mm-hmm. 
have lost some of that freshness, that sort of openness. So yeah. Because Mr. Sineath had so many great points, we had to split this podcast into two parts. So thank you for listening to part one and stay tuned for part two coming tomorrow.